For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. In the news this week, Tesla says it has a moral obligation to keep installing and improving its autopilot driver assistance technology. This despite the fact that the tech has been identified as a contributing factor in a number of fatal crashes. We'll have the details a little later in this segment. And uh, see Tesla's side of this. I think they have some points here. Uh, One global automaker has taken a go-slow stance on electric vehicles and has found that to be a winning strategy in the United States. But now it might be seeking to change its tune. We'll tell you what automaker that is and what their plans are coming up a little bit later. And in the True Crime Files Automotive Edition, the founder of an electric truck manufacturer is facing 11 years in prison for fraud. We'll have more on this story coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by DrivingToday.com, YourTestDriver.com, EMLancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. California save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash auto insurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. We're indicating you need to put the hyphen in there between auto and insurance. I'm Jack Nierad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. He's dressed for winter weather wearing a baseball cap and everything. As you longtime listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. He lives at the snowy end right now. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can get the most for your automotive dollar. We review a couple of vehicles each week. Chris, I I need to know this. Um, Does the Teague family have their Christmas tree up yet? We do, Jack. And, you know, we talk about the animals that we have in my house. I have five cats. Uh, we have mm. a decently sized, decent sized house. The cats can go wherever they want. However, they are all directly under or around the Christmas tree at all times now. So, uh, yeah, it's up, but it's a very stressful up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always wonder about cats in the Christmas tree. They have a tendency to like to climb sometimes. And they do. Yeah. So you got that going for you. Uh, I had to pick out our tree all by myself this time around because of our, our old dog needed some babysitting. So I was charged with going out and picking out a Christmas tree and bringing it back and having it be okay. And uh, I'm not sure how great a job I did, but it's hard to hold it up, you know, and look well, at hard it. To mess up, it's hard to mess up a Christmas tree. As yeah, long as it's clean, it. I think you're good to go. Yeah, it is and smells good. So that's good. What vehicle will you be testing this week, Chris? I spent a snowy week in the Toyota BZ4X, a very interesting uh, EV from one of my favorite brands, so I can't wait to tell you all about it. Yeah, yeah, interesting to see how it uh, fared in the snow, too. I'll be road testing the 2024 Jeep Compass, a compact SUV with a Jeep badge, uh, so that, of course, promises off-road excellence. Uh, does it live up to that? Well, we'll tell you coming up. We have a really cool special guest. Ivan Mihov is uh, Vice President at AutoNation. 
He's the key executive in the company's most recent recent initiative, AutoNation Mobility. And here's the question I have for you, Chris. Have you ever wanted to lease a car for just six months? That's about when I start getting tired of cars. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they offer that. And I think it's, it's pretty cool. So we'll talk to him about that, AutoNation Mobility. Uh, they call it a mini lease. They're not calling it a subscription service, which I think is interesting. But we got the details on that a little later in the show. Uh, let's dive into the news. And I, I want to talk about this uh, Tesla saying it has a moral obligation to continue improving autopilot. And I get that. And it's interesting that they uh, say that they have much stronger, or their drivers, I guess, have much stronger safety metrics when autopilot is engaged. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that they, they feel they have a moral obligation to keep doing it, to keep installing it, keep improving it. You know, they've been taking a lot of blows in the press, even from America on the Road and uh, from other uh, media uh, outlets like the Washington Post, say. Kind of we're on the same level, Washington Post, America on the Road right there. Uh, Washington Post identified eight crashes between 2016 and 2023 where autopilot was activated in situations where it probably shouldn't have been. And I think maybe that's the issue. What, what's your take on this overall thing? Uh, so to your point earlier, I can see Tesla's um, point here in that, you know, a computer doesn't get distracted. It's, you know, technically should be safer than a human in some situations. I think where they kind of run afoul or where they've let, dropped the ball a little bit is the guardrails around when, as you mentioned, when this technology should be used and how it's used. Uh, there's really not a lot of policing there and, and, and drivers are abusing it. So um, whether it's Tesla's fault or not, I think is, is kind of up for debate, but uh, there need to be some more some guardrails put in place there. Well, here's a clarification too. I mean, uh, and this is straight from Tesla. They say autopilot is intended for use on controlled access highways. Those uh, highways with a center divider, clear lane markings, no cross traffic. You know, that's like we see with Blue Cruise and and, and other self driving systems from major manufacturers, shall we say, from uh, Ford and Chevy, uh, among others. Um, they went on to social media platform X, formerly Twitter. I wonder how they found the address for that. I wonder, you know, made all that happen uh, to talk about uh, this and kind of knock down the, the Washington Post stuff. Uh, maybe they have a point, but I think the name autopilot alone is is problematic, isn't it? Yeah, and I've said this before about the other technology that they offer, full self-driving, which doesn't actually offer full self-driving uh, functionality. So. You know, we've talked about this before. Uh, words matter, especially when you're you're selling someone on a product like this. So, uh, you know, Blue Cruise and Super Cruise have very, very strict limitations on where and when and how you can use them. I've I have had trouble even getting them to to work because either the road or my eyes or something about the situation wasn't perfect. So, you know, I think again, this is you know, there, there's some work to be done here. The technology could be amazing; it could actually help a lot of people and save lives, uh, but it does need to be implemented and, and monitored properly. Yeah, absolutely true, and. Uh... More, more on this probably later, because uh, it continues to be an issue. Well, let's talk about the uh, car maker, uh, global car maker that has gone slow on electric vehicles, <laughs> maybe uh, strategically or maybe just because, just because. Uh, and we're talking about Mazda, actually a former employer, one Jack Arney read. I worked at Mazda for uh, a couple years way back in the 90s um, and have always had a little bit of a soft spot uh, in my heart for Mazda. Um, certainly the Miata was the, the was the guiding light uh, that uh, led me to uh, be employed by them. But um, they have not uh, had a, uh, basically uh, have not had a battery powered 
vehicle in their U.S. lineup and uh, are close to it and have still done very, very well. They're probably going to have record sales for this year. So uh, it has worked out for them. At the same time, I think they're going to, to roll out some EVs. Maybe this is the right strategy. What do you think? Kind of not be leading edge, but, you know, just follow along with the herd. Yeah, you know, I'm going to bring this up. Toyota owns a minority stake in Mazda, so it's hard to ignore the fact that maybe they had a little bit of an influence on this. But, uh, you know, I think Mazda's done a great job. They've positioned themselves in the upper part of the mainstream market with their vehicles. They're very premium. They're fun to drive. They look great. Uh, they just started offering plug-in hybrids of the new CX-90. So, you know, they are kind of dipping their toe in a little bit. But as you said, they haven't done a lot to date. You know, the MX-30, I think that's what it was called, right? The MX-30 uh, EV they offered with 100 miles of range really wasn't, what most of us thought would be the the, the tipping point for them. So um, I'm excited to see where they go. Yeah, they're looking to have sales of 600,000 vehicles in North America, maybe half a million in the United States. I mean, that's would be close to a high watermark or would be the high watermark for them. I think their record was uh, a little less than 400,000 vehicles. So, you know, more power to them there. They're doing some interesting things. EVs continue to pile up on dealers' lots, <laughs> despite the, the cheerleading we've heard for EVs. Uh, it seems like dealers are at that interface between, <laughs> between the manufacturer and uh, the actual consumer shelling out money for stuff. It continues to be a, a problem, doesn't it, Chris? It does. And it's a multifaceted problem, I think, as well. You know, so there's the pricing of the vehicles that we've talked about, you know, through to our blue in the face on the show. Uh, there's a lack, there's a gap. JD Power has shown there's a gap in salesperson knowledge of EVs and has trouble, you know, translating that to to buyers. And then buyers are worried about range and where they're going to charge and all these things too. So uh, it's kind of a perfect storm. And, you know, having said that, EVs are growing. They're just not growing anywhere near as quickly, I think, as, as the automakers had hoped, given the amount of money they've invested here. I was on John McElroy's AutoLine show the other day, and we were talking about electric vehicles. One of the other guests said that, uh, the progress toward electric vehicles would be lumpy, but uh, was inevitable. I'm, I'm wondering if it's inevitable or inevitable in my lifetime anyway. I mean, I think we're a long way from getting 100% adoption of electric vehicles. What's your take, Chris? I think I agree with that. Um, I think the the targets that automakers, many of them have set, some of them are saying, you know, 50% of their sales will be electric by the end of the decade. Um, I'm not sure that I think that's unreasonable. I think that's probably pretty close to a reasonable target. However, I think saying, you know, by 2035 or whatever, some of them have said 100% EVs, you know, five years later or whatever. I think we're a ways off from that. Just as we've talked about with uh, self-driving cars, electric vehicles, there are a lot of moving pieces underneath the surface of this uh before you know everyone's willing to to buy one of these things and number one of this i think number one of them i think is is price for a lot of people so you know there's a, a long way to go before automakers are able to get that price down um, and until they are a lot of people i know are not going to buy these cars yeah well i find it interesting that uh, luxury makers uh, can seemingly seemingly have enough margin to absorb that price differential and and make it much closer so it's an easier choice for a luxury buyer but for a mass market buyer i think it's very, very difficult. And we'll just have to see how this unfolds because um, I don't think it's going to be nearly as easy as, as some people suggest it will be to get to 100% electric. Well, when we come back, we will be uh, testing. One of the vehicles we'll be testing is 100% electric. It is the Toyota BZ4X, um, which is easier to say than it is to type. We found that out. Uh, and my vehicle is the Jeep Compass, which is reasonably easy to type. Uh, so... <laughs> And uh, kind of easy to drive as well. So stay with us for that. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. 
Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack. Right back with you in his road test time, one of our favorite segments because we love driving other people's vehicles. I certainly do. It's one of my most favorite things in the world. Uh, and we have some really interesting vehicles to talk about here, including, uh, I think, the, the strongest foray from Toyota into the electric vehicle sphere. Uh, tell us about it, Chris. Yeah, this is so Toyota's dabbled a little bit in the past. This is their first mass market EV in the United States. It's the BZ4X. They developed this alongside Subaru and uh, soon to be the Lexus RZ will also share a lot of the same uh, underlying components here. But reasonably priced, I guess, in terms of how EVs go. We just got done talking about how they're too expensive. But uh, the base XLE model is around 43, is 43,350 after destination. Um, the up-level limited trim, which I tested, is $48,050 after destination. My as-tested price came out to just over $51,000. That's with a, a weather package that brings like heated steering wheel and some other um, neat interior touches there. Uh, Jack, you get 252 miles of range maximum out of this vehicle, which is not the best in its class. That's out of the XLE model, which has 18-inch wheels. My all-wheel drive limited trim with 20-inch wheels topped out at 222 miles. And the week I had it, it didn't crest. I don't think we got above 30 degrees the whole week last week or the week before. So it's a very interesting time, which I'll get into in just a minute. I want to ask you, have you driven the BZ4X and how do you how do you like it overall? I did. I was on the launch of the BZ4X. I, that might have been the last time I drove it. I might have had one here for a week, but I, I just don't remember because uh, it was so long ago if that were the case. I liked it, but it struck me even as it was being launched that it wasn't. There was nothing leading edge about it. It was just kind of a a me too electric. Yeah, and that's unfortunately kind of the takeaway that I, I got out of the end of the, the week here. But uh, taking a step back, you get either front wheel drive or all wheel drive configurations. The front wheel drive has 201 horsepower. All wheel drive, which I tested, has 214 horsepower. So not a significant bump out of the extra motor on the rear axle. Um, both have 196 pound-feet of torque. The driving pressure of this, Jack, this is not a quick SUV. This is absolutely the most Toyota EV that I could probably imagine in terms of a driving experience. Uh, it's neither thrilling nor boring, but it's also not... Uh, you know, overly, it's not rough, it's very smooth, it's very refined. So you kind of get the best of the EV, but you also get the Toyota DNA in there. So it's not going to raise your pulse. It's not going to beat anybody in a drag race. Um, it's just a solid, nice commuter car. It's very smooth, very refined, very quiet, especially in town um, around here where the plows have started tearing up the si uh, the roads. It's very smooth over all those uh, pockmarks uh, and everything. So no complaints about the driving experience, but I do want to talk about charging a little bit. And we've talked a lot about my region here in Maine, the, the fastest charger in my town is a 50 kilowatt EVgo charger. That is actually fine with the, the BZ4X because it won't work. Well, it will work, but not it, it can't take advantage of the full DC fast charging speeds of 350 kilowatts that you see some of the other vehicles and, and things that are able to get that, that fast. So the uh, front-wheel drive model can charge at 150 kilowatts. The all-wheel drive charges at 100 kilowatts. And I got to tell you, <laughs> uh, it took about four hours to go from zero almost zero to full on this thing and that was uh me charging it before i returned it to the fleet driver so um that's also you know i wasn't charging it through the week and keeping up with it so uh if you're gonna let it run out you know i would say that you, you should count on sitting around for a little while to let so it. you had it on a, a public charger for four hours just sitting there on a public yep. yeah I usually, I sometimes leave it overnight, but this time I got, you know, right before the grocery, it's in a grocery store parking lot. So I was able to kind of camp out there and, and do some work later in the evening while it charged. But, you know, it slows as you get full, more full in the battery. So right. once you get past 90%, it's like a trickle charge. So that's really the reasoning here. I think Toyota 
their logic is that you're going to top off at a public charger, but you might leave it on your home charger overnight. And then that doesn't matter because you're going to, you're going to wake up eight hours later and have a full battery. So, you know, I think if I were going to buy any EV, I would have a home charger installed before I bought it. I would think that this is a requirement for the BZ4X. I don't think that you're going to want to sit um, at a, a public charger for that long. But going on to other features instead of nagging on Toyota for, for charging is full LED exterior lighting, fixed panoramic roof. Uh, this is a nice vehicle, Jack. I mean, I think it's got plenty of plenty of features for the price, even though you're paying 51 grand. Um, inside, you get a seven-inch, they call it a multi-information display. It's not quite a gauge cluster. It's it's like the one I had in the Prius that I described, having trouble seeing over the steering wheel. It's almost the size of a smartphone with just you know limited information. 12.3-inch touchscreen. Toyota's infotainment is fantastic now. It's gotten a lot better than it was just a couple of years ago. You get wireless Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, uh, Toyota Safety Sense 3.0, blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alerts, adaptive cruise. So very well-equipped vehicle here, Jack. I think um, for me, the range and the charging would be my two biggest problems here. And, you know, again, if I were buying this, I would have to have a home charger. Yeah. I mean, uh, it seems like a good vehicle, but there do also doesn't seem to be a compelling reason to choose it over others that it competes with. It's not cheaper than, it's not better than, you know, it's just one of those. For around about the same money, you can have a Hyundai Ioniq 5 with 800 volt architecture that charges lightning fast and you get all the same technology inside and, and some would debate probably more attractive styling. Yeah. EV6 <laughs> right there too. From yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So again, Me Too product, um, not not one of Toyota's stellar products. They have plenty of them, uh, but that one, not necessarily the one. Uh, first toe dip, I guess, into electric <laughs> vehicle. Yes. Well, Jeep Compass, uh, this is a vehicle that hasn't been highly praised through the years, a kind of a, a stepbrother of uh, many of the other Jeeps, I think. Uh, but over the past two or three years, Jeep has really transformed this vehicle. They, they did an interior change a couple years ago. And then last year, they changed the base powertrain into a, a much better turbocharged four-cylinder, 200 horsepower, now, now among the the highest in terms of base horsepower, base engine horsepower in the whole segment, and it's a giant segment. So I think this has been essentially pretty transformative to this vehicle. They made it look better inside. Uh, it always looked pretty good outside, and uh, they made it drive a lot better. So I, I think it, there's a lot more to like about the Jeep Compass now than certainly there was a couple of years ago. What's your take on that? I agree. The Compass has always been sort of the the dark horse in this segment for me. It has more off-road capability than like the RAV4 and the, the Honda CRV. And I think its biggest problem is that the others exist in the segment <laughs> and that people are looking at them as as being better for everyday commuting. And and they typically are, uh, you know, but the Jeep is definitely the, the adventurous choice in the segment. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. I'd say if you plan to do off-roading, some fairly serious off-roading in your compact SUV, Compass is something to look at. Or if you just want to join the Jeep club, you know, a lot of people just want to have a Jeep and it's a, a pretty easy, cost-effective way to join that club. Uh, doesn't beat you up too much in a bunch of different ways. It's not a bad commuter car. It's not, maybe not the greatest commuter car, but not bad for that. Probably a better commuter car than the Jeep Wrangler is. I would, I would suggest that. All-wheel drive is now standard. Uh, they have added, they being Stellantis, Jeep, the Jeep brand has added a lot of driver assistance features. So, and it has, for its class, I think um, the best all-terrain capability. Certainly, the Trailhawk version does. So now, uh, with a much better engine, a much torquier engine, higher horsepower engine, eight-speed automatic transmission, I think there's a, a 
kind of a lot to like about this vehicle. Again, with those caveats, maybe you want to, if you're an off-roader, yeah, absolutely take a look at it. Or if you just want to be a member of this whole Jeep gang, I think there's a lot to like about that. I'd also point out that Jeep, uh, having been part or being part of the Stellantis brand families, uh, gets Uconnect Infotainment, which I'm sure you're going to touch on in just a minute. That for me would be a significant selling point alone. I think it's one of the best around. So absolutely, throw that in there. Absolutely, got a big screen now. Let me talk about handling a little bit because I think adding the added horsepower and maybe the added torque has kind of transformed the handling. This seemed very sloppy before, but now. Uh, maybe because just you can do things with the accelerated, <laughs> make it feel a little better. You can, uh, the steering feels reasonably quick. I'm not sure that it, it ha- is quicker uh, than it was before. Uh, it essentially lacks feedback, but you can get around that. Um, so, and again, it soaks up bumps and uh, difficult terrain pretty pretty easily. So uh, I like that. It has a select ter- a terrain drive system that offers snow, sand, and mud settings. And if the tra- if you get the Trailhawk, it also has a rock setting. And the Trailhawk has a lot of great stuff for off-roading. I won't dive into that. Uh, the basic Jeep Compass starts at about $28,000. Kind of mid-level is mid-30s for the Latitude trim or the Latitude Lux. Made the Latitude Lux is the, is the sweet spot here at about $35,000. It has leatherette upholstery, power-adjustable driver's seat, heated front seats, heated steering wheels, stuff like that. And then even the Trailhawk, $37,000, under $37,000, there's a lot to like about the equipment that they throw onto the Trailhawk. And uh, that might be the biggest bargain of all. What do you think? Yeah, I drove it. Well, the last one I drove was a previous generation, but uh, I had a lot of fun in the Trailhawk. I drove it in the snow. And for a compact SUV, I got to tell you, that thing is a beast in, in slippery terrain um, and, and off-road conditions. So uh, that I think might be, like you say, the one to buy. Yeah. And I'll tell you, as you mentioned, you know, the 10.1-inch touchscreen with Uconnect 5, their latest edition of, of Uconnect, great infotainment system. So all in all, I think this has gone from a vehicle that you know maybe wasn't even worth uh, worth a consideration unless you were a Jeep fan to something where you can have a look at it and, and uh, maybe you uh, want to join the Jeep team. I don't know. I agree. So two interesting vehicles, maybe not the top choice in either of their segments, but uh, vehicles to look at. When we come back, uh, we will be visiting with Ivan Mihoff. Uh, he's a vice president at AutoNation, key executive in the company's new AutoNation Mobility Initiative. So uh, we'll talk to him about that. So stay with us for that with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nierad with you. And thanks so much for being with us. Stay with us. We'll be right back right after the break. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats. You made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nierad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises. But at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com. And it's available direct from the publisher emlancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, We'll both be happy. 
That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red at Amazon.com or EMLancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack and be right back with you. We have a terrific guest for you. Really interesting subject, too. Ivan Mihoff is vice president at AutoNation and in charge of AutoNation's mobility initiative. And uh, number one, Ivan, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Jack. Really an honor to be here with you and your listeners. Well, tell us a bit about uh, AutoNation Mobility and then about uh, what you recently launched. Pretty cool stuff, I think. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so AutoNation Mobility is a new business unit within AutoNation, uh, America's most admired auto retailer. We recently launched AutoNation Mobility, and the first product is called the MicroLease. The MicroLease is a short-term vehicle access product where consumers can lease a vehicle for six or 12 months. It's like a lease, just micro. And basically everything is included except for uh, gas and insurance. And so it's a fully digital uh, checkout. So you don't have to go into a dealership. You can go on autonationmobility.com. You can browse our wide selection of vehicles. We represent over 30 brands and consumers can have a wide spectrum of cars for short term. And so we think this is a really compelling uh, new product introduction and new innovation from AutoNation that allows consumers to have greater flexibility, shorter commitment, and potentially even a car that they perhaps wouldn't want to get or couldn't afford or wouldn't want to splurge on, but do it for a short period of time. And we think that's a pretty compelling use case. And we've seen you know a lot of customers find the product transact online, they love the online experience, and then get the car that they've really wanted uh, for, for their needs and their purpose. And, and we've rolled this out in California and Florida, so uh, and we'll be going to new markets, so I uh, hope your listeners would check it out. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're checking a lot of boxes from people. I mean, uh, kind of a short-term commitment. A lot of people are looking for that, right? Not much commitment these days. or they, Maybe they want to try something out for a, a little bit and then see how it goes for them. I mean, we've reported on, you know, some kind of similar things through the years. Most recently, uh, I think Polestar is putting out something where you can essentially lease a Polestar, and if you don't like it after five months, you can give it back. But uh, uh, I think AutoNation is perfectly positioned to do this based on the fact that uh, you have so many cars in inventory, right? You represent so many brands. You're essentially... uh, can draw upon that to uh, put per, uh, people in the, the kind of short-term lease that they really want. Talk about that a little bit, how AutoNation really works for this. Yeah, that's right, Jack. So, you know, we've we've seen these types of products uh, over the years. Uh, there have been different attempts and different versions and flavors of that. I think it's a cultural trend that consumers, like you said, are looking for more flexibility, shorter-term options, some consumers. Um, and, and look, we, we, we looked at the market and we said, what, what can we do different and how can we create a more compelling value proposition for more consumers? And, uh, you know, one of those, you, you hit the nail on the head. We, we happen to have 30 brands. We happen to have over 300 dealerships across the country. And so one of the, the key distinguishing factors here is that it is, you know, it is a fully, uh, we, we offer a selection that no one else has uh, across makes and models. And then, you know, we really empower consumers to go check out the website, transact fully online. The pricing is very transparent. I mean, literally consumers, it's very simple. They just pick how many 
uh, months that they wanted for, this is six to 12, do they want, you know, what's their mileage that they want? And then there is a, a toggle on how much do you want to put down versus the monthly payment. That number in terms of the total cost is the same, but some consumers want to put zero down or others want to get to that monthly payment that's in their budget. And so they'll put more money down. And so really it's about giving consumers the choice that they want. And going back to what we're saying, this is obviously we're automation. So this is you know, the third or the fourth way to own a car right there with, you know, financing or leasing traditional regular 36 month leasing. This is one other option that works for some and others would prefer more traditional models. And uh, like you said, I think, you know, we are seeing a lot of, you know, interest from different customers, including those that are interested in electric vehicles and want to maybe try before they buy. And that's another one of the beautiful things about this product is that at the end of the term, we give our consumers options. Do you want to extend it? Do you want to buy the car because you really like it? Or do you simply want to turn it in and get a new one? And actually that's a really interesting use case that I don't think is yet in the American psychology. We're so accustomed to buying a car, having it for five years, you know, putting 100,000 miles on it or whatever, or you know, even with leasing three years, but you know, I've, I've leased cars for over 15 years. I tell you, by by month 18 or month 24, I'm ready for that new car. And so now for me, just the concept of, you know, not being tied in and the technology is changing, new brands are coming, uh, you know, the models are shifting pretty quickly. So it, it is really um, an amazing experience to not be locked in and to basically get the latest and greatest every 12 months. Well, and I think you really hit a sweet spot by giving people the option of six months or 12 months. And, you know, we've reported on the radio show over the last several years about the subscription model, right? I mean, subscribing to a car and possibly changing a car every month. And it turns out that's not necessarily what consumers want. I mean, maybe that's too frequent. Just as you're ready to get rid of your car after 24 months, maybe after two months, <laughs> they're just kind of breaking it in and feeling good about it. So uh, talk a bit about that, about how you arrived at six and 12 months is the, the right lease terms for this. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, there've been models that are, you know, that even came bundled with change your car every month or change your car every weekend. And like you said, the consumer appetite for that just wasn't there. Uh, you know, it's kind of a pain to change your car on a very frequent basis. And then separately, it actually adds a lot of cost to the experience. So your monthly payments end up having to be very high to compensate for that frequent swapping because, you know, they, you have to detail the car, they might be damaged with it, etc. And then it turns out that, you know, if, uh, you know, everyone on the weekend wants the, the convertible and or in the winter wants the Cadillac. And so even from a fleet point of view, it's really hard to balance supply with demand. And so we said, look, what's a better value proposition that's going to give consumers the most value at the best price point? So one of the things I'm really proud that we've done is we've made a, made a set of decisions that actually, if you look at our pricing and you compare it to the 36 month lease, it's very, it's very competitive. And so I think that's also been another one of the barriers to earlier subscription models as the price points have been a little bit too high. Um, and so we've made a set of decisions and trade-offs that I think really do find a sweet spot for consumers to, to have the flexibility, to have the short-term nature, but not pay an extraordinarily high price for it. So we, we think we're happy with kind of how we've uh, positioned the, the first product. 
Talk a little bit about the all-inclusive nature of this. I think that is very appealing to people as well. So, yeah, so basically, if you get a micro lease through us, the way we said, everything is included except for uh, insurance and gas. So obviously gas is a consumable, so that most people don't include that, but all the maintenance is included, roadside assistance. If you have any issues with the vehicle, you can call us, we'll schedule the appointment for you. Uh, you know, we could potentially even get AutoNation Mobile Service, which is our, uh, you know, at home service company to come and do your oil, oil change. So there is, everything is included. Um, the insurance is the one interesting piece. And, and the reason we decided not to bundle insurance in at the initial phases is, you know, a lot of people get really great insurance and they are able to bundle the insurance with their home policy and get a really, uh, you know, discounted rate. Some of the commercial policies, depending on how they're structured, can be a little bit more expensive. So we didn't want to, at this time of, you know, inflated car prices and inflated monthly payments, also force consumers to take our insurance product that may be more expensive than what they can get on their own. And so once again, and we've positioned it as a micro lease, which is also was a decision to uh, get away from the term subscription, even though it's it's similar in nature. I think these consumers just inherently are more familiar and they understand leases. And so it's a micro lease. And at some point in the future, we may include insurance or give consumers the option. But for now, that was uh, the decision. And it's, and it's really about giving that no hassle experience where and you get the peace of mind that if anything happens to your car, you're covered, we've got it taken care of. Right. Well, typically, uh, it's a digital experience. It's a one price experience, largely. Everybody is paying the same price for the same thing, I, I imagine. Uh, talk a bit about the advantages of that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, so that's exactly right. The price on the website is the price that you see. We've, um, we are in the back end, there's obviously certain incentives and customer cash and discounts on the vehicles and all of that stuff, you know, it's once again in the spirit, one of the principles is how do you drive price transparency and make it simple for consumers. We take care of all that in the background. So consumers don't have to worry about APRs and discounts and am I getting this incentive or that incentive? Do I need to negotiate? Am I getting the best deal? And like you said, similar to AutoNation with our used cars being one price, with the mobility and the micro-lease, it's, it's one price only. Whatever discounts are, they're already reflected in the price. Yeah, if you check it out, like we've got some incredible end-of-year pricing on a lot of makes and models. There's a lot of cars in our portfolio that are just fantastic, and it's, it's a great, uh, great value for many. And when we come back, we'll have more from AutoNation Mobility's Ivan Mihoff. So stay with us. Welcome back to America on the Road with co-host Chris Teague. This is Jackie Red with you, and we'll continue our interview now with Ivan Mihoff of AutoNation on mini leases. Let's go on with that right now. Well, tell our listeners how they can find out more. Uh, certainly, I think we've enticed them a little bit here, right? Yeah. So, yes, uh, the business unit is called AutoNation Mobility. You can go to AutoNationMobility.com, and um, you can check out the website there. We have... Um, you know, obviously it explains what the product is, how it works. And we've also got what we call collections. So one of the other things that uh, is interesting in terms of how we created the website, it wasn't about, you know, search for this very specific car and this very specific trim and so on. I mean, of course you can do that through our filters, 
but we created collections around you want a premium car, a daily driver, family, a luxury car, and then we've already got a curated list of cars, but of course also give consumers the functionality to go and search through the entire catalog of thousands of cars and they can drill down to the exact one they want. But you know, we wanted to create a smoother, uh, less traditional type of vehicle purchase experience with the digital checkout. Everything happens online. You take a selfie scan and you upload your driver's license. You go through a, a, a pre-qualification, which is a soft pull on your credit that doesn't show up in your credit report. So you know if you're going to qualify for these payments. And then if everything works out, you can place the order and that whole journey from start to finish can, can take 15 minutes. And you can do it from your phone on the beach, in the bathroom, at a restaurant. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, we're pretty proud of, of, of that customer experience that we're pioneering with this, uh, this website. Yeah, sounds very, very cool. Are we talking just about new vehicles here, Ivan? Or are we talking about new and used? Or talk about that a little bit. So it's, right now it's just new cars. Um, I, will, I will save my thunder on, <laughs> on the used one, but maybe we'll do another show uh, in the not-too-distant future and we can talk a little bit about that. Okay. Sounds, sounds good. Anything else you think our uh, listeners ought to know about uh, this new thing from AutoNation, from AutoNation Mobility, the micro lease? You know, I think what's interesting is to see the different use cases that are coming up. Uh, it's also a great try before you buy and, you know, type experience. It's been great for customers. Sometimes they place it, they have their car coming and it's six months out. So that's a great in-between. We've seen people that are new to town or they don't know if they might move, switch jobs, something like that. Uh, and then we've seen a lot of folks that want to experience that. This might not be the practical car for their family, but they've always wanted a Defender or it's end of year. We've seen some folks gift, uh, hey, I want to get my wife uh, an experience or a car instead of a traditional Christmas present. Yeah. Had a few of those where people are like, hey, I want to get... Uh, my husband and my wife, uh, a micro lease on a premium car. Uh, we've even seen people that, you know, um, like myself as well, you know, I got a, a convertible, got three young kids, not the practical car, not the family car, but then my wife was like, hey, you know what, it's fine, get it for six months, it's only six months. And then guess what, she loved it, and it turns <laughs> out all three kids do fit in there. Uh, it's not comfortable, but they do, and so it was a great experience to have a convertible for the summer. Very, very cool. One thing I've got to ask you, uh, a car comes back to you after being a new car that's six months old. What do you do yeah. about that? How, how do you handle that kind of situation? Well, for us, it's fantastic, right? Because we're auto retailer. It's, it's also how we make uh, the pricing so competitive is because we don't have to auction that car or distribute it you know, in the wholesale channel like some other startups that have attempted this in the past. For us, it's, it's a high quality used car. We're going to put it right back. And, and retail it if we don't have it, if a customer doesn't want to extend it. So it's also a great source of, of used cars for AutoNation where we don't have to go and competitively bid because all these cars will naturally come back to us. So. They're going to come back to yeah. us and you know when some of them are coming back, which is a nice thing too. Like I say, I think I think the, uh, your company is perfectly positioned to do this uh, and you seem like uh, the guy who has uh, thought about a lot of things as uh, you put this together. So congratulations on that. It's very, very good. Thanks for talking with us. We do appreciate it. Ivan Mihal. Thanks so much, Jack. Thanks for having me on the show, and uh, it's a pleasure getting to know you. Good to talk to you, and I hope we can talk again. Maybe we'll talk about used vehicles next time. What do you think? I would love that. Yeah, we should definitely do a check-in.
And that was our interview with Ivan Mihoff of AutoNation. Well, I think we have time for at least one listener question, so let's uh, go to this listener question. I think in, in some ways it's almost a challenge to us, Chris, but uh, I think it's meant in, a, in the best possible way. This is from Lowell. He's in Woodland Hills, California. Here's what he says. I hear you guys complain about Tesla's autopilot system all the time, but Tesla says very clearly that it is a level two system and that the driver must be responsible for the control of the vehicle. So why don't you say that? (laughs) What's your take on that, Chris? Well, I think saying those things and then following up with actionable policies and things are two different two different issues altogether. Um, without knowing exactly how Tesla monitors its drivers, I would say that there is enough room for people to abuse the systems that there is cause for concern. I think that's what I'll say. Uh, in my mind, uh, there are two things that are missing. First is a well-defined, first of all, the name is wrong. We talked about this. It's not autopilot. It won't drive the car for you. It's not that appropriate to call it that, even though that is a great marketing term. I think that gives people, that makes people feel empowered to kind of imbu- abuse the, the system. And the second thing is, Although Tesla has talked about improving its driver monitoring, there were a lot of, you know, sort of hacks on how to fool the system into thinking your hands were on the wheels and thing on the wheel and things like that. So I think, you know, those early missteps combined with the the sort of marketing issue are enough for me to want them to address it more comprehensively, I guess I should say. I don't think they should take it off the market. I don't think they should ban it or anything like that. Uh, but I do think an investigation, and I think some some work is needed to to kind of get this back to where it's safe for everybody to use on public roads. Yeah, I mean, we've heard far too many stories of people asleep at the wheel or reading a paperback book or doing all kinds of things in their Tesla and and maybe putting that on social media to <laughs> prove to others how, how cool their car is and how cool they are for having that. And, you know, that just sends the wrong message. And obviously, Tesla is not responsible for all of its customers and what the customers do. But I think things like saying full self-driving, you can go on the Tesla website, you go to buy a vehicle and you can check a box for full self-driving. It's a really expensive option. I think it's something like $15,000 or something like uh, on that order. But that's what it's called, (laughs) you know, and I don't think that's what it does. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not anti-Tesla. I have to admit, I think that, you know, their technology, the vehicles themselves, uh, their design, they've pushed the entire industry forward, especially with, the, you know, the semi-autonomous driving features. They were the first to have this. And now, look, you know, you get it from General Motors, you have it from Ford. Almost every major automaker has some flavor of this technology. And I think Tesla's willingness to kind of step out and be the first kind of pushed everybody else to do that. Having said that, we're now at a point where, you know, again, we need to kind of retrench and 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 get everything back together because people are abusing it or they have been abusing it. I don't know what the picture is most recently after these investigations and things have been opened by government agencies, but uh, in the past, people did not act as responsibly with it as they should have. Well, and uh, certainly I'm not in favor of uh, immense amounts of government restrictions, but I am in favor of safety and safety on the roadways and safety to people who are driving Teslas and people who are sharing the road with people who are driving Teslas. And so I just think things should be named appropriately and uh, expectations should be set for drivers. And then we should should move on. You know, none of us, neither of us, I think, on America on the Road is against progress. (laughs) You know, we certainly are are definitely in favor of progress and in favor of technology. But we want it to be safe at the same time. 
So tell us a bit about what's the latest at your test driver as we come to the end of uh, 2023, Chris. Yeah, we're going to finish 2023 strong. We have a load of new content coming for 2024. I mentioned this last week. We're updating all of our safety lists so you can find the safest vehicles for 2024, the vehicles with the best headlights, the nicest interiors. Um, all of our rankings are being updated for 2024, and we're gearing up for a lot of new giveaways in the new year. So I can't wait to tell you all about it once we get our sponsors on board. Yeah, well, I look forward to seeing that at yourtestdriver.com. Check that out and, you know, keep checking there, you know, bookmark that page. Go back there uh, often uh, to see what's going on there. Uh, that would be very worthwhile for you. Uh, if you're looking for a last-minute Christmas gift, there are the books written by Jack R. Red out there on Amazon, uh, including Dance in the Dark, my crime thriller. Uh, Fatal Photographs is available on Amazon, even though it was written in the 90s. It's... Uh, a true crime tale that I think... Is I read it. It's a great book. Fairly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very fascinating. And maybe uh, the one most uh, holiday-oriented is the GR Factor, talking about the golden rule and how uh, it is a, a great way to live your life. So that's something to look for for Christmas at Amazon. Jack Arney Red is the name of the author. If you like America on the Road, and we hope you do, you've come to the end of the show, so you, <laughs> you've tolerated us uh, at least this far, please pass it on to somebody else who would like the show. Uh, we would appreciate that. And there are various ways to listen to America on the Road, too, aren't there, Chris? Yes. If you visit sportsmapradio.com, we're on the Saturday morning schedule. And there you can find our podcast on all the major platforms, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the others. Um, and if the radio formatted version is your thing, you can download it right from the site there as well. All right. Our thanks to all the Sports Map Radio Network stations for carrying America on the Road. We do appreciate that very much. We're We're happy to be on the radio, and I love the radio. I grew up loving radio, and I still do. And uh, we love you for listening to America on the Road. Please uh, join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. Inner peace, self-respect, emotional fulfillment. Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own, or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR Factor. I'm Jack Arnie Red, host of America on the Road. For years, I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outline clearly in my book, The GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed. Inspiring all that is the best in you, The GR Factor will guide your journey elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read The GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's The GR Factor by Jack Arnie Red. Thanks for checking it out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.